Welcome to Leadership Behind the Scenes with me, Nomi Natan, Executive Coach and Leadership Consultant. In this podcast, we champion human-friendly leadership because you're human first and leader second. We share tips and insights on how you can increase your impact and influence so you can be the leader you've always dreamt of being and feel proud when you look in the mirror. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Leadership Behind the Scenes. I am thrilled to be bringing you this interview with my very special meditation teacher, Gillian Lavender. I met Gillian 13 years ago when I first learned to meditate. And I can honestly say that everything in my life is better because I meditate. I get no shares in Gillian's business. I get no money for promoting meditation on Gillian. But I honestly believe that your world will be better if you learn to meditate. And I believe that the larger world will be better the more people we have meditating daily. So I'm thrilled to be giving you this conversation. We talk about the difference between mindfulness and meditation. Jillian describes Vedic meditation. It's the kind of meditation that she teaches, um, uh, also sometimes referred to as TM meditation. And um, we talk about why meditation is much better for you than an afternoon nap. I'm also going to link to an episode I did a while back about meditating with children because what I loved about the way Gillian teaches it is this is not about being on a mountaintop, you know, where everything is quiet and perfect and meditating there. Obviously, that would be wonderful. And that is not my reality and I'm sure it's not yours either. So we want meditation to fit into our lives and I have young girls. I have meditated from when they were born, and so they're used to it. In fact, just this morning, my little one, who's four, um, sat next to me reading books to herself and her teddy bear while I meditated. Was it as deep and as profound as if I'd had complete silence and I was totally alone? Mm, Probably not. But I meditated. I got something out of it, and she's used to me meditating, so I'll link to that episode. But for now... Let's take a breath and dive into this beautiful conversation with Gillian Lavender. I am so happy to have you on the podcast, Gillian. Um, where are you today? I'm very excited to be with you. I am in London and uh, I'm at home Um with my partner Michael and our daughter Loie, who I'm hoping is going to bed right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we are still pretty much with you know easing out of lockdown, but you know we've we've been very much in lockdown in this part of West London, and uh, we're just starting to sort of ease out of that in little ways. But yeah. So I'm in, I'm in London at the moment. Yeah. So at time of recording this, it's beginning of July. I'm not quite sure when we'll publish this, but for people listening later, it's beginning of July 2020. Mm. Um, so you're a meditation teacher, and I'm guessing that you didn't grow up as a kid thinking, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a meditation teacher. 
<laughs> Correct. I well, I was one of those kids that grew up not knowing what I wanted to be. Yeah, you know, I I felt like I was in that space for a while. Even you know, going through university, I did a business degree, and then one could argue that I came out of that, and I still didn't quite know what I wanted to be. Um, I I worked. Um, in business, I, I started as a marketing trainee, graduate trainee. I worked um, in a, for a retail company. I worked for a direct marketing organization. And um, in this time, because I, I grew up in New Zealand, and uh, I once I had sort of done a little bit of had work experience, I moved to Sydney, Australia. And I joined, I got headhunted to join a uh, publishing company, a Swedish publishing company, and they were very um, international, had operations in about 27 countries at this time. And I was employed to set up the Australasian division. So um, I sort of was thrown in the deep end with that. And that was actually the time when I learned to meditate. Um, I had not come from a particularly religious or spiritual background. I hadn't been exposed to that. I certainly wasn't into yoga and all of that stuff that's more available. And we're going back in time here, showing my age, but this is sort of 20-something years ago. And um, I came across meditation whilst I was in this sort of startup situation and I I was, I have to say, you know, I was pretty stressed. I was working across different time zones. I was traveling a lot. Sydney's a long way from everywhere. I was tired. I would get sick quite often, come down with colds. I just, I wasn't happy, you know. And I heard about this meditation thing because um, through a guy at work and then through a friend, and it was his father, and somebody who I knew quite well and who I really uh, respected, he was a very successful a businessman, he had retired and he'd had a lifetime of issues with insomnia. And uh, he tried so many different things, you know, and, and nothing had really stuck. And then he learned to meditate. And that kind of was, it threw me at first because he just, I didn't think of him as a someone who would learn to meditate. And, and this back in the day when meditation was still pretty weird, you know. Um, so but I, I was fascinated by this and I, I was sleeping okay. However, I had definite issues around my energy levels. You know, I was, I think all of the flying was having a part to play in that, but I was probably not living a very balanced life. Um, and I would sleep Many people come to us because they have sleep issues. It's a big thing, you know, falling asleep, waking up at three in the morning, mind's racing, can't get back to sleep. I was sleeping okay, but I would wake up and I did not want to get out of bed. I was just dragging myself out. Even after a so-called good night, you know, sleep, I was just pushing that snooze button. I was feeling tired and and I was sort of propping myself up in those days with caffeine and sugar and, um, you know, and just, ugh, it wasn't really working. And, um, and so I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to check this out. And I went along to an introductory talk. Uh, I remember it very well in Paddington and Sydney and uh, met my soon-to-be teacher. And, you know, I had gone in a little bit nervous. You know, I would had all these sort of preconceived ideas about, you know, this is going to be a little bit 
you know, brown rice and sandals for me. I'm not sure about this. And, uh, and it wasn't. You know, he was this really together-looking person. Everybody else in the room were, you know, real mix of people, uh, a lot of professionals. Just, and, and then there was all this science. There was all this scientific research. And, and, and I, you know, I could understand there was a long tradition behind it, but there was all this modern, uh, you know, information. And I thought, right. I'm going to do it. Something just clicked. And, and I knew at some deep level, I just knew I had to do something. Something needed to shift. And, I, and so I jumped in and started meditating and started to notice the changes really quickly. And it was really helping me. And I know we'll talk more about this, but in terms of my work, you know, jet lag was a real issue for me. I um, and the hours that I was working and the expectation that I would fly back in. I remember, you know, I'd get into Sydney and the red eye on a Monday morning. I would go home, drop my bags, have a shower, and I'd be back into the office by 9.30, you know. And it was kind of relentless. And so meditation was a real jet lag buster and, and it helped with my sleep. I was waking up before my alarm clock and I was... Um, much less anxious you know I had been feeling pretty overwhelmed by everything that I had on my plate and I noticed those changes very quickly mm. uh, and that was very self-reinforcing for me I you know the fact that I could see an effect pretty quickly um, and I was enjoying it and I found it easy. And so, you know, I continued with it. It was just something I did. And, and the way that we practice the technique that I teach Vedic meditation is sitting in a chair with the eyes closed, typically for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. And I, I would do my morning meditation at home and then I would end up doing my meditation, my afternoon one in the office. You know, just close the door, go into a meeting room, do it there. If I was on a plane, it was easy. You know, I could meditate as much as I liked. Um, I found it very practical in that way. Um, as our students, you know, do, they report this all the time. So, yeah, I, I continued just doing this thing. I didn't really talk about it that much at that stage. I didn't, you know, um, have many people around me who were into meditation um, I was noticing changes and other people around me were noticing those changes. Yeah, I was curious I, about that because that happens yeah. a lot also that other people, they don't know what they're noticing, right? But what did, what did, uh, what did they say to you, other people around you? Well, it was interesting. There's a, there's a story I often tell about this really good friend of mine um, and it's, it's a lovely, uh, gone full circle, this story, because just six months ago she learned to meditate. Now oh, this wow. is 20-something years ago, yeah. So... I had not seen her. I hadn't seen her for, I don't know what, maybe she'd been away and I, I'd been traveling a lot. We, we caught up, we were having lunch and in that time I'd learned to meditate and it was halfway through lunch and she's like, okay, what's going on? And I'm like, what, what you know, what's, what do you mean? Something's different. Something's, you're different, you know? And I'm like, oh, um, well, um, sort of thinking, what, what? Oh, I, I've learned to meditate. I'm doing this meditation. I did this meditation course and I'm meditating. She goes, yes, that's it. 
I'm like, what? You know, and she's like, well, you're just calmer and, you, you know, you're, you're more grounded was the word. She's an actress. And so being grounded was really a thing for, you know, her. you're more grounded. And I said, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, I'd probably be meditating by three months by this stage. And, um, you know, the way I described it to her was, you know, it was like prior to learning to meditate, it was like my life was a bit like there I am in this small dinghy, this little boat, and there's this huge raging storm going on around me and I'm kind of feeling like I'm getting pushed over by the waves and just about capsizing and pushed onto the rocks. And and then I learned to meditate and it was like somebody put the anchor overboard, you know, and I still had a bit of a storm going on around me, but I wasn't feeling at the mercy of this, you know, I was feeling more stable and more grounded. And that was how I sort of explained it to her. And she's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, so, you know, it was interesting. Somebody that knew me pretty well and um, could see a shift very quickly. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I just got on with it and I, I really, I, I guess incrementally, you know, big changes were happening, but it's sort of like when you're in a bath and it's warm and then it gets a bit warmer and a bit, you know, you don't, you don't notice it, you know, um, although really there was a lot, lot of change and uh, I moved to Paris. I was working, uh, had a huge job there and I was sort of restructuring a company and running that division and setting up new, new markets and then to London, it's how I ended up in London and, I was one of three global uh, VPs of this international company. And again, you know, I just spent my life on a plane and um, thank goodness for meditation. Um, and, you know, a, a time came where I just sort of thought, you know what, I'm, this is, and this is not it. I've, I've done this and um, I didn't quite know what it was although I, I knew what it wasn't. I knew that that time had passed of that particular aspect of what I'd been doing. I loved working with people. I loved that developing the team. That, that was really where, my, where I really got a, a buzz out of what I was doing. And so I took some time out, went traveling, you know, I, by this stage, you know, I'm in my 30s and, you know, I put everything in storage and just took off and, and traveled the world for a year and trying to sort of get some clarity. And very quickly, I started to sort of get a sense of more and more that actually this meditation thing that I did was really fundamental to my life and what I wanted to be doing in my life. And I could see, I could see the need. I could just see it so clearly. And I think, you know, I, what I could also see was that here I was, somebody who had been, you know, experiencing a lot of stress. I'd been in really demanding situations. I had been in the kind of real world, as it were. You know, I wasn't in, in a monastery and up in the foothills of the Himalaya. I was, you know, in the world doing it. And, and I could see that, well, maybe all of those skills that I had built would allow me to be able to make this more accessible. And in that process, I met up with my teacher, my meditation teacher who'd moved back to the States, a man by the name of Tom Knowles. 
And he said, why don't you come and spend some time here in Flagstaff? And then, you know, I was there for 18 months about and came out the other end a teacher of Vedic meditation. And I, so I can't say to you that it was a grand plan. It was sort of unfolded. And like all of those really big, important decisions that we make in our life that actually that are that are truly right, as I could say for you in that moment, those decisions tend to come from a place, in my experience, where there is less intellectual analysis and we're actually open to trusting our intuition and that fine level of feeling, which is not a language that in you know had been encouraged for me and my business career it was you know work everything out very logically and have a lot of data and have everything backed up and look at the trend and yet in my experience it's when we can absolutely settle down and hear that inner voice and trust it and trust it that's when we find ourselves moving in a direction that is really interesting and and so yeah it was a and, and then I came back after my teacher training, came back to London, and so that was, what, 2003? Um, and I, I started trying to build up my meditation teaching business. Um, I have to say, you know, it was a bit pushing on a bit of a closed door. You know, companies, they weren't, they weren't in a place where they were really that open, in my experience. Then it was... Even stress, you know, that talking about that in a workplace environment just wasn't mental health, you know, it just wasn't where it is now. Um, so I just sort of built it up organically and uh, I ended up doing some consulting work um, as a funding mechanism to allow me to build up um, what it was that I really wanted to be doing. So I was working in the city four days a week and then I would build up the teaching and, you know, do that the rest of the time. So I was working all the time, um, but it was, there came a point when the balance sort of shifted and I knew, yeah, I have to let go of the funding mechanism now because that's kind of getting in the way of me doing what I really want to do. And I let that go. And I'd met Michael, my partner, he's American and, and he became a teacher. We met through meditation. And, and so we have London Meditation Centre, which is our base. And we've prior to all of the, recent developments with the pandemic we've we were in new york every four weeks teaching um as well uh so yeah that's a little bit about my story i guess <laughs> wow well um i i mean i'd heard parts of it before but it's it's really neat to hear and and i think this was so I found you guys via Google ad, actually, which is quite amazing. Really? I had, yeah, it's a Google ad. Who knows Google ads? Well, this is 2009. Because I, um, I had lived also lots of places and I'd been in Canada and this woman had told me, you need to meditate. And she introduced me to a, a kind of meditation that was for the picture and a woman emanating vibrations and that sort of jarred against my, you know, Jewish, Jewish religion and belief. And I didn't quite sit right with me, but I was fascinating. She was like, you need this. So I went to a Buddhist thing and again, it's chanting. And again, it felt like it didn't quite work for, mm. you know, my 
Jewish upbringing and, and my belief system. And so it's like, okay, I need this thing. I, okay, I get it now. I need something. <laughs> like how to find it. And I don't know what I've t- typed into Google, but it was a Google ad that oh. took me to an intro talk that I did with Michael. And then, um, yeah, and then the weekend I wanted to do, which is August 2009, it was you teaching. I was a bit disappointed I wasn't going to get Michael because he was really nice in, <laughs> in the intro talk. But I mean, listeners won't know, but uh, Gillian knows that I have since sent my mom, my dad, my husband, uh, my brother, my sister-in-law, pretty much all of my close friends, loads of clients, uh, tried to send loads more. Um, not because they get any money out of Gillian when I send them to... <laughs> meditate but just because um i think the world gets better and definitely my world gets better when um when people learn to meditate and 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 so what i loved was um many things but one of the things is the the easiness and the normalness because i remember straight from the first weekend where i learned to meditate with you guys that you were like okay well you can meditate on your tube you can meditate because people are like so do i need a very quiet space i, I, yeah. I was single at that time and i didn't have any kids Actually, I wasn't a relationship. Anyway, basically, I didn't have kids, which are the main obstacle right now. But um, but they've grown up with me meditating. But um, I love that you were teaching it in a way that was just, well, how about you just fit it into your normal life? And it doesn't have to be a special, silent, beautiful room where everything is, is quiet. So can you talk a little bit? Because the first thing people say when I say, well, you know, I often say to my clients, I think, you know, have you ever considered meditation? And they say, oh, I, I can't do that. My, my brain is just too busy. Like I've yeah. tried that kind of thing. Like I, I can't do that. Um, can you, I mean, I know why Vedic meditation isn't difficult. Can you say a little bit about why meditation doesn't have to be difficult? Yes. And I'm with you. I hear it a lot. You know, there is a very strong, um, deeply ingrained idea out there that meditation is hard work and it involves a lot of control and a lot of discipline. And we have to try in capitals and in bold, we have to try to settle down the mind. And most people, I would say, are experiencing very busy minds, very active minds. Too much thinking, but you know, lots of lots of activity in the mind, lots of agitation actually. So the concept of having to sort of force that into a state of silence feels very difficult and they're right because it is very difficult. Now there is a if we take a step back here, there is an overarching principle in nature that when you work in alignment with the laws of nature, when you work with the nature of the mind in this case, it's going to flow, it's going to be more frictionless. If you go against nature, if you fight the laws of nature, if you push back and you go against the nature of the mind, it will feel difficult and it will be hard work and might leave you feeling a little bit, uh, perhaps even like a bit of a failure because why well, haven't been able to, to do this? So we really need to unpick this. We really need to understand that whatever we're doing we're in life, <laughs> But in this case, we're talking about the mind and meditation. We want it to be in alignment with the natural flow of life. So what is the nature of the mind? Well, the nature of the mind is to move in the direction 
of more fascination and more charm and more, more happiness, more perceived happiness. This is what your mind is doing all the time. You know, we're sitting here having this conversation and let's say some beautiful music starts playing in the next room and as fascinating as this is, oh, that's lovely. Oh, oh, my mind is going to go there. And then I see something else and, oh, my mind's going. And the mind is doing this all the time and it pulls us into thinking. Now, what we want to do based on this nature of the mind is utilize that, you know, work with it. So in the technique that I teach and that you practice and have been practicing so so in a, such a committed way for gosh, how many how many years? Now? Well, I realize it's actually two thousand and eight. So twelve coming years. up to twelve years. Yeah. yeah, is that we introduce what I call a little charm vehicle, a mantra, a sound, very particular sound that's chosen for you by the teacher, meaningless sound that becomes more refined and more subtle and more soft and more faint as you think it silently in the mind. And as it does so, it becomes more charming and more charming. Those inner, quiet, settled layers of the mind are extremely delicious for the mind. Mind wants to go there. And so it goes there naturally, without force, without effort, without control. Those are things you'll never hear me say in relation to meditation. And so rather than fighting the mind. Now, I think a lot of techniques that have been given the kind of the umbrella term meditation involve the exact opposite. They involve a lot of hard work and effort. You must focus on this. You must, you know, try not to think that. You, it, it's all effort, a lot of it, not all of it, but there's a lot in there and implied in that is that if only I could stop the thoughts, then I will experience that peaceful inner state. And I would say you've got to experience that peaceful inner state and then the thoughts will stop because in that inner pure inner contentedness that we experience when we dive inward, the mind can't conceive of anything more wonderful than that. So the thoughts will settle down. So we always want to be in an alignment with nature and and this is really goes to the heart of how meditation works it's understandable for me that people are having these experiences because much of what is out there doesn't recognize that fundamental principle if i say to somebody okay stop thinking you know stop thinking it you know you mustn't think they're going to think about not thinking and oh shoot, no, now I'm thinking about that email I didn't send and oh no, no, don't think. And, you know, it just becomes a special and it's, um, it just can often leave us more agitated than when we started. Yeah. I even notice when you say stop thinking, like I stop breathing. It's like, yes, I'm going to stop, yes. stop myself. I'm going to not breathe then. I'm just going to be yeah, completely stopped, which is not very relaxing at all. <laughs> so, um, so, okay, so it's, it's flowing with life. It's not going against it. It's not focusing on one specific things. You know, thoughts are not a bad thing. Thoughts are there. And, and there's one thing also, which, you know, when, when I talk to people about meditation, I think there's the solution that we're aiming for something. It's like mm-hmm. aiming for that amazing high of the meditation, which, you know, sometimes it is phenomenal. But could you say a little bit about why it's wrong to aim for that and why we're really meditating 
rather than we're aiming for this like amazing high <laughs> special well, experience. Yeah, I think it's I think it's true. I mean, I, you know, if I go into my meditation with a an agenda, you know, I go in there and I want ABC to happen. What's happened is that I have inserted my individuality into the process and I'm using effort, actually. Subtle, but it's my, my expectation is setting myself up there for there's a little bit of this is what needs to happen. I'm using, I'm trying to control this process. And what I would say is that control is opposed to evolution when I'm trying to control what happens in this process of meditation I will actually end up slowing down the progress I would also say that meditation as lovely as it is to sit down for 20 minutes and close the eyes and experience less excitation in the mind and the body to a level by the way where the body within a few minutes is resting many times deeper than sleep this is very powerful. That in itself sounds lovely. And that is a, a wonderful experience to be able to just have a counterbalance to all of the doing and thinking and all of the activity, all of the demands that are bombarding our system at any, in any 24-hour period. So that's lovely. However, I would say that it's not about meditation itself. I don't meditate in order to be a good meditator. I meditate in order to be a better person, to be better in life. The outcome is what happens in the other 23 hours of my day. So meditation is not some goal-oriented, I-must-perform experience when we allow for nature to be in charge of the process, we can actually step back. And that's a blessed relief because we can just actually let the process unfold. And that's what I teach people to do. And they do report that that process in itself is such a, a gratifying process, such a relief for them, very nourishing. And therefore, having rest of the nervous system, having rewired the brain, having optimized the brain signature, having got rid of the stress chemistry out of the system, they can then come out of meditation and they are ready for life in a completely different way. So we want to, we, we, of course, it's very lovely. We can sit down, we close the eyes. However, actually, We've got to be practical about this. What's it going to do for me? You know, why meditate? Well, because of all of these benefits that are very clearly documented, this is why we sit down and do it. The experience itself is easy and natural and pleasurable. What I'm most interested in is how is the rest of your life being affected by this? Yeah, and, and I just want to be real that for me, sometimes, you know, even 12 years in and or almost 12 years in and, you know, where the husband also meditates, often it feels frustrating and annoying and really inconvenient that, you know, like to go for meditation and to go, oh, can I go meditate now? You know, and, and it's much easier now that we both meditate, but it still is very often it's dinner time, the kids are hungry or it's morning and they come and disturb me or they come in and out and someone, you know, 
they're screaming my name. <laughs> and so, but even, you know, and this, for those people that are listening and they're going, I have too many people in my house to ever have this blissfully. Or, and I don't have, we have open plan offices and I would have to you know, sit in open plan office to meditate in the middle of the day. Like even with interruptions and, you know, if, no, when people want to go learn, you can tell them how interruptions, but for my, me, the key rule is keep your eyes closed. You know, let the interruptions be what they are, but keep your eyes closed. Even with interruptions, it still makes the whole day better. It increases yeah. my patience. It grounds me. It, and I, I really don't know how people have gone through this COVID period with this much anxiety and uncertainty in the world without it. I'm like, Wow. Yeah. wow. And so I wanted to talk about like, why do leaders extra need it? So of course, you know, this is called leadership behind the scenes. I think this is one of the, I often think about it like this, like doctors wash their hands before they see a new patient. And I feel my meditation is one of those things like I need to, you know, wash my mind and clear myself to be of service and be able to be useful. Um, Cause also it's not something you can have a, you know, coaching kind of a manual and, and figure out, I don't know what to say before it happens. So really need to be, like you said, in tune, but can you say a little bit about why it's so helpful for leaders to meditate? So one thing is, and that's fun, funny, lots of people go, oh, yeah, okay, so I'm happier, but how does it help my work? <laughs> Tell me how it helps me. So I'll be healthy and happy. Sure. Sure. How does it help my work? Yeah. You know, um, what do leaders need to be in this world today? They need to be pretty perceptive. They need to be very adaptable, flexible, and they need to make good decisions. And sometimes they need to make those decisions very quickly under a lot of pressure. And so in order for all of that to happen, we need to be able to function at our best. Now, when you're stressed and when you're tired, you are not functioning at your best. And the research is very clear. You know, you're in a fight-flight reaction. You are in, whether you know it or not, most often you don't, and your cortisol levels are elevated and epinephrine's flooding through your system and you are compromising your immune system and all sorts of things are happening. And in that moment, because you're tense and you're stressed, you're just look at what happens in terms of brain functioning. You know, you're, you're, we go into the prefrontal cortex. This is the, the higher human functioning. This front part of the brain shuts down and goes offline. And we get into the, the limbic system is driving everything through the amygdala and so it's these base emotions of fear and anger and all of this that's that's driving the decision making and what this does is it robs us of the full mental potential that we have as human beings and as a consequence of that we're going to make dumb decisions it's very clear stress makes you dumb and and it limits us because when you're in fight flight it's just all about the perceived threat that might be you know somebody honking at you and having a bit of road rage or it might be some you know information on an email that you'd rather not have or whatever but there's a moment of fight flight and everything narrows down we lose our breadth of perspective we lose that expansiveness that ability to hold the big picture and focus on detail at the same time and what I would say in this rapidly changing environment, 
you know, look at us here, it's July, and what has happened in the last four months, three months, six months, you know, everything has been turned upside down, not just here in this country, wherever anybody is listening to this, not in your country, wherever you are, the whole world turned upside down. So what is that asking of all of us? You know, that is a massive upsurge and change. An upsurge and change means we have to adapt. We have to be able to respond Mm -hmm. with flexible, adaptive behaviors. And if you are not optimizing your brain functioning, if you are tired, if you are unwell, then your capacity to be adaptive goes right down, drops through the floor. So in this environment, you know, I want to be more adaptable, not less adaptable. And what meditation is doing, I talk about this in terms of because of this energy, this reservoir of energy that I'm building up with every meditation, it's like I have a bank balance to draw down upon. I call it the adaptation energy bank balance. You know, so a demand comes in like that, you know, client that's now decided they want to go away and not work with us anymore. And ah, okay, that's information. That's a demand. That's new information. I'd rather not have it, but hey, hey ho, it's information. It's asking me to adapt. And if my adaptation energy bank balance is overflowing and I'm then I can respond in a way that's going to be more appropriate. If, however, I'm in the red and I'm running on empty when it comes to adaptability, then I'm going to struggle. I'm going to maladapt. I'm going to be very limited in the range of responses I can come up with. And so leaders need to be leading through their speech, their actions, and the quality of the decisions that they make obviously have huge ramifications for the people that work with them in that organization, the stakeholders, the clients, the, at all levels. And so, you know, it's a, it's a responsibility and, and we want to be in good shape and we want to be able to make good decisions. Everybody wants to make the right decision. And, um, you know, I always talk about this word responsibility, you know, responsibility that comes to those who have the ability to respond. So it is incumbent upon leaders to up their ability to respond. And, and in my experience, taking care of your mental and physical health is a very important component of this and Mm -hmm. research is very clear about what meditation is going to do if we only looked at brain functioning and there's so many other aspects to this Um, so it's I think it's absolutely critical and this is why you know I am finding in the work that I'm doing Many, many leaders quick coming because also they are at the sharp end of things and they are feeling it. Mm. You know, they're feeling the effect of this. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of, as you've alluded to, a lot of anxiety and a lot of 
tension and a lot of fear building up around the uncertainty. Um, and this is because adaptation energy bank balances are a little bit low. And this is what we need to increase. So just quickly, not to go into all of the signs about this, but um, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I already don't get enough sleep. But how, how do I have time, you know, to meditate? And in this period um, of COVID and kids being at home, I have adapted things to ways that I know don't really work for my natural preference and doesn't work for me. Well, but like, Turns out the hours between eight and midnight is when the house is quiet and I work much better when it's quiet. So um, so I know at the moment my afternoon meditation then becomes extra crucial. Mm. And for example, yesterday when I was so incredibly tired, I have listened to you enough time to know, don't lie down and sleep for an hour. Meditate. And then if you're tired after your meditation, then lie down. And so that's exactly what I did. I meditated 20 minutes and then I lay down and then I got interrupted maybe 20 minutes later. So I had 40 minutes, but I got a whole new lease of life, which I know if I'd slept for 40 minutes, I wouldn't have had that. Could you just say just a few words about why is it not the same, just having a nap? Yeah, it's very, very different. So you know, as I mentioned before, when we sit down on the train and we close the eyes and we meditate with this technique, uh, with Vedic meditation, within a few minutes, the nervous system is in a hypo, hypo meaning low metabolic state, at a state which would have taken many hours to achieve in normal sleep. Now, I'm sitting upright. I can hear the announcements. I'm, I'm not zonked out. I'm just sitting there. If anybody was to look at me, they would just see, oh, there's a person sitting there with their eyes closed, just, you know, bag on my lap. Nothing weird, nothing strange. I'm not horizontal. Now, the quality of rest that we get in that 20-minute sitting is profound. And it's it sort of leads me to kind of when I'm being a little bit pointed about sleep, you know, I'd say, well, that's kind of mediocre rest in comparison to what I can get in a 20-minute sitting of meditation. The thing with sleeping in the afternoon, for example, to use your example, is that that's creating a, a substrate of biochemistry that's all about doziness. Probably takes about an hour for that to clear out of the system. So that's why you wake up after a nap in the afternoon and you feel more groggy and more sort of takes you a while to get going. You actually kind of sometimes feel worse than when you lay down. Whereas the person that sits down on the chair at four o'clock and meditates, 20 minutes, is going to come out. And if we were to have measured their reaction time, for example, prior to meditation versus after meditation, their reaction time is faster after meditation and certainly much faster than the person that's just woken up from a nap. So it is a enlivening rest. It is a nourishing, rejuvenating, very revitalizing for the nervous system. In my experience, meditators over time, uh, and you're a very long-term meditator, tend to be able to deal with less sleep on average, or if they miss sleep, they're able to recover much more quickly, simply sit down and close the eyes. You know, when I there's a lot of talk about how many hours sleep we should be getting. What I'm most interested in is what are your energy levels like? You know, I've been doing this a long time. I might, you know, because of workload and things going on and 
child up sick or whatever it is that's happening, you know, I might miss sleep. I know that I'm going to be okay and I'm going to function because I have those two very profound pockets of rest. And, you know, when I, I remember when I first went along to the intro talk and I heard that it was 40 minutes a day, I was like, what? I was in like a mild state of panic. Where's that going to come from? You know, I already felt like I never had enough time. I was chasing time. You know, I was always like, don't have enough time, don't have time. Very interesting. Once I started meditating, having invested the 20 minutes twice a day, because I was less, you know, ricochet rabbit and I was more able to be focused and clearer and more grounded and da-di-da, more energy, I was getting things done in a completely different way. And I actually found that I was sort of like I had more time. You know, I was... I didn't have to read that paragraph three times before I got it. You know, I actually got it, act on it, you know, and that, that clarity had a really dramatic impact in terms of my productivity. And meditators talk about this all the time, you know, that the, the return on that investment, the ROI on that 20 minutes, huge, huge. To the point, I would say, where, you know, this is one of the acid tests about this. When you don't do it, you know, how do you feel, you know, and uh, you'll notice it. You'll notice yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it is one of those things that works when you do it. And I do know people that started and then they're like, oh, my life is great now. I don't, I don't need it anymore. It's like, well, it doesn't work. If I, I mean, I keep thinking about, yeah. about floss, flossing. Anyone who's been coaching with me know that I always talk about flossing. And I think if you do it really well for a week, then I don't have to do it the rest of my life. Yeah. Turns out that's not how it works with flossing, but not with meditation <laughs> either. And, and for me, I mean, it's made everything in my life better. But in terms of my work, it, I often feel like it's my secret weapon. Mm. Um, so if I rock up to a hotel and I'm sleeping in a new bed and I'm seeing a group the next morning that I may or may not know, and you know, I know they paid a lot for me to show up and, yeah. and do something for the group. And I know that uh, my mind is, is, is busy at night and I might not fall asleep and I'm thinking about, oh, I want to make sure I do that. And, so, and I didn't ask that question. I need to check this, but I know I'll meditate in the morning. And so however much I slept or didn't sleep, I will be just fine. And I can, I can deliver and it will be great. And people will say, wow, you're so calm. And I'm like, you should have met me 12 years ago. <laughs> um, and it's like, um, and I've seen this with other clients also that they also report this afterwards. For me, definitely when I started meditating, people listened more to what I was saying. It was like my personal power grew. They listen in a different way because there's something, you just become... I, it's just more interesting to listen to someone who's meditating. Something about the way people express themselves and their energy makes it mm. make, mm. makes a difference. So, um, but can you say, because also then the other thing that happens with people when I talk, talk to them about meditation, they go, well, I'm doing mindfulness or I have this app I'm doing or, you know, so can you talk a little bit about the difference and, and where's Vedic meditation and, and what's the difference between, between, you know, so if people are going, okay, well, I'm already doing this thing. Am I getting the benefit or should I do all of them? Should I do mindfulness and meditation or does one replace the other? Or how, how does it work? Yes. I think it's really important that we talk about this because, you know, if I just talk about that period of time that I've been teaching and it's, you know, that the, the, the marketplace for meditation has changed so dramatically in that time. And um, you know, when I first came onto the scene, there were no apps, there was no 
you know, mindfulness really was not um, big. And so now, you know, the, the positive side of all of this is that, you know, meditation is much more in the mainstream awareness. And I think that's fantastic. That's great. And there's just a little bit of a watch out with this in that with that comes the potential for a, a lot of things that are not actually meditation to be labeled as meditation or sold as meditation. And for there to be secondly, quite a bit of uh, confusion about how to, to, to work with the nature of the mind. And we touched on that earlier. And so what this leads to are practices that might be less enjoyable, less efficient, less effective. Um, and, and so this is where we're at with this right now. So, you know, I'm very clear that not all meditations are the same. We need to, we need to understand this. You know, we cannot just dump everything in there and say, ah, that comes under the banner of meditation. Because when you put a person, uh, sit somebody down and you hook them up to an EEG, an electroencephalogram, and you look at what's happening to their brainwave functioning and they are practicing Vedic meditation Mm -hmm. and sitting right next to them is somebody who's practicing Mm -hmm. a concentration-based technique and then somebody who's doing an open monitoring mindfulness-based technique and you they're all hooked up to the eg and we're looking at what's happening in their brains it's different three different brain signatures are going on now certain parts of the brain are lighting up when there's concentration going on certain parts of the brain and certain types of brain waves so alpha brain wave versus you know it's very different and we know it in terms of metabolic rate these are some of the big things that are different so Vedic meditation is the oldest technique that we have. It comes from the Veda. Veda is a Sanskrit term. It means truth, knowledge. It is not a religion. It is not a belief system. When you learn Vedic meditation, you do not need to change your life in any way. You don't need to stop drinking coffee and have kale juice every morning. You don't (laughs) need to do anything other than close your eyes, sit down and close your eyes and and do this meditation. And as we've said, you can do that in all sorts of places, anywhere that you can sit down and safely close the eyes. So very portable. Now, what we're doing, this is, so this is the ancient, ancient knowledge predates Buddhism, for example, by many thousands of years. Most of the mindfulness-based practices tend to have their roots in the Buddhist tradition. so we're going right back to the absolute essence of what meditation is. And so we're using this mantra that I described, this vehicle, this sound to settle the mind down. That's a big differentiator. And it's a very particular type of mantra having a, having a very particular effect. So what is happening in that technique that you practice every day is that you are introducing a sound and the mind is settling down and settling down and settling down. And in fact, stepping beyond thought, we have a word for that, we call it transcending, step beyond thought to arrive at the baseline of consciousness, pure consciousness, undiluted by thought, a state of being, and we're human beings. We're not human thinkings, we're not human doing. And we have an experience of that least excited state of consciousness, the source of all of your thinking. This is the differentiator. If I'm sitting there 
concentrating on my breathing or I'm being guided through, you know, and pink loveliness is now in my toes and that's coming up to my knees and someone's guiding me through some, you know, there is some cognitive activity going on. Maybe a little bit more subtle, but there's still some thinking. We're working at the level of the mind. You know, mindfulness, that the key is in the word, mind. Um, what we're doing is stepping beyond the mind, beyond thought, to arrive at the baseline of consciousness, your absolute essence, which is that pure, unmanifest, unbounded state, uh, an inner reservoir of energy and blissfulness. And so this is the difference. Now, what is the value, therefore, of these other practices? I'm, I'm a very you know, cup half full kind of person. And I think that any time somebody has the impulse to sit down and close their eyes and tune into their breathing, and we were talking about this earlier, just the power of that alone has an incredible transformational effect on the person. So any think about it sort of like rungs on a ladder you know any time we move sort of up and we, we're on one of those rungs there's a hierarchy there in terms of ease and in terms of efficacy and in terms of efficiency absolutely and they're not all working in the same way and once we're on that journey great you're on that journey many people you know when I do an introductory talk and I say you know, who has tried meditation? Now, I would say eight out of 10 hands go up, 80%. When I dig a bit deeper and I say, oh, so what have you been doing? Oh, I've done the app and I've done this and that. And then I say, okay, how many of you are practicing whatever it is that you're doing every day? Hands go down. Yeah, maybe I get one hand, you know. Um, and I think this is a, you know, a very important point. You know, you want your gums to be in good condition. You floss your teeth every day. You want to be in good shape. You work out every day. You want to have more optimized, balanced functioning of the mind and the body. You meditate every day. Meditation works when we do it. The wonderful thing about it is that when, coming back to my earlier point, when we are working with nature, then it flows and it has a frictionless quality to it rather than it being a battle and a chore and another blimmin' thing I've got to do. You know, I can quite honestly say to you, my attitude in the afternoon is, geez, I can't wait to meditate, you know, um, because it feels good and I know how much better I'm going to feel afterwards. Um, and as a mum who sort of, you know, is then going into my second day, you know, getting dinner and bath and all of that and then working and then finally sitting down and getting to do some of my work, um, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty appealing. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think wherever you're at on your journey, wonderful. And many people report to me that once they get going on this at whatever the point they're on, there's a sense, ah, there's more here. You know, just like you described, you know, oh, yeah, I'm looking at this picture of this woman and the, you know, the golden orb and whatever it is. 
not quite it, but let's keep moving. Let's keep moving along this sort of journey and we keep testing. And I just, if you have that impulse, keep moving and find what resonates and see how that works for you and, and keep exploring and keep doing the research. Come along, you know, to one of our online intro talks and get more information. You know, that's not a sales pitch. That's just a learn, you know, get, find, you know, find out more about this. So you're doing intro talks now online, which is a development since I've last spoken to you because it used to be. Yeah, you know, always <laughs> it was in, in person because, you know, Michael and I, you know, we're, we're purists around this, you know, we're not going to cut corners, you know, this is such powerful knowledge and, you know, it needs, it's very easy. Anyone can do it. You know, so if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, it sounds great, but gee, she doesn't know my mind. I do. And you can do it. You know, we have people from all walks of life, all ages, all, you know, um, all faiths and there's, you know, all of that. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's such important knowledge and we want to handle it with such care. And just like, you know, if I wanted to learn, I don't know, to, to swim, there's only so much I'm going to learn from a YouTube video. You know, there's going to come a point when I'm going to need to get in the pool and have some expert personal instruction. And if I really want to master this. And I would say with meditation and certainly with what we're doing, it's such a subtle process that it's always recommended that that happens in person. And so, yeah, we don't, we're not into cutting corners on this. Um, and oh, in so this international world, you know, not everybody lives in London and New York. So what can people do? You know, I think, of course, you can come a lot, you can start that research process. If this is something that's resonating, you think, ah, join and join the Zoom call and, and find out a bit more, meet us and, and learn a bit more, find out who's teaching this kind of technique in your local area. Um, so, you know, reach out to me. And if there are, if I have colleagues who are teaching, you know, we have a lot of teachers in, Australia and California and New York and various places around the world. Um, and if we don't know somebody, you know, there's, there are transcendental meditation centers in a lot of cities around the world, a lot of places in the world. And I know that they will be able to teach this type of meditation, you know, in a very pure way. Mm. So there are options. So people yeah. can go to londonmeditationcenter.com, sign up for a free intro talk wherever they are in the world. If yeah. they are in London or New York, or if travel again becomes normal and people can figure out to get a trip out of it, I highly recommend you go learn with Gillian and Michael. But if you can't, like Gillian said, she can recommend teachers or um, just wanted to clarify, you mentioned, mentioned transcendental meditation, that the technique is, is, comes from the same place, that the Vedic tradition also has another name, which is TM or Transcendental Meditation. So Transcendental Meditation is a proprietary term of the TM organization. They've TM'd TM. Uh, and my teacher, Tom Knowles, was a part of that organization back in the day um, prior to me meeting him. And then he became independent of that organization. 
However, he trained me to teach what it was that he learned directly from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the man that had brought TM to the West. Um, and in fact, Tom was there and Rishikesh when the Beatles were there. And, you know, he's been very much, was very much a part of that organization. Um, he left that in the 80s. And, and so, yeah, I'm teaching exactly what Tom has taught me to teach, which he was taught by his teacher. However, I'm not a part of that organization. I, Michael and I are independent teachers uh, and we have a commitment to teach this knowledge in the purity with which it was handed down from teacher to teacher. It's very important in this world where we're so, you know, there's so much cutting corners and instant gratification. Mm. This is this is something that we want to do properly. So, um, I mean, I could keep talking to you for hours. <laughs> Hopefully we'll arrange another chat. It might not be recorded. Um, but where, so where's the best place for people to go to, to find out more about you and, and Vedi Meditation, LondonMeditationCenter.com? Any social places to follow you? Or? Yeah, we're on Instagram at London Meditation Center. Um, go to the website and it's all, you know, it's all there. Um, there's a contact us, you know, email me you know, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you have questions, I think obvious thing would be sign up for the intro talk. The dates are all there. You can do it. You can do it from the comfort of your own living room or wherever. And, um, those are happening every week. And, you know, those are really fascinating and you will not be bored. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good place to start. Thank you, Gillian. Great to have you here. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, do remember to hit the subscribe button so you get alerted every time there's a new episode of Leadership Behind the Scenes. And obviously, I think you should go check out LondonMeditationCenter.com or find a meditation teacher in your area. But besides from that, if you are looking for a way to pause in your work as a leader and not just push through and firefight through, I have something for you totally free. Go to nominatan.com forward slash list, nominatan.com forward slash list, L-I-S-T. And that is where you will find the weekly leadership checklist for smart and conscious leaders. This will help you to reflect, to zoom out and to do some really profound, important work on your own growth and the growth of your organization. You need to step back weekly. This is what real leaders do. Doing is not leadership. So nominatan.com forward slash list. Now take a breath. Because remember, no matter how busy you are, there's always time to breathe. Have a great day.